have been doing for a couple of months at least. I think this is our third month in it, overcoming life's challenges. And this is kind of a follow-up lesson to last week's lesson. We're talking about the challenges of Christian behavior and some things that, that are difficult for us as Christians to do. And last week we talked about judgment and how to properly judge what we might call righteous judgment versus judgment that, that we should not participate in. Today's lesson is a lesson that goes back a little ways. Uh, this is one that I have done before, been several years, uh, but uh, it's one that came to my, my mind and, and one that I thought that would be appropriate for us today. Today we're talking about sins of the tongue. Sins of the tongue. And as we talk about the sins of the tongue, we realize that, that the things that we say have a great deal of effect on those around us. And those things that we say, especially those things that, that are inappropriate, those things that, that we should not say as Christians, those things are the hardest to overcome. It's something that we need to be the most careful with. Because what we say, once it is said, it is said. It's out there. It's done. You can't take that back. So if you hurt someone with words, then that's something that, that you can't go back and fix. Not easily anyway. In James chapter 3, beginning with verse 7, says, For every kind of beast and bird and of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now we can say good things and we as Christians we want to say good thing. But it's hard to control what we say. In particularly, when we talk about the sins of the tongue, I imagine that, that, that you'll follow my thinking here. And mostly we're talking about things such as gossip and rumors. And a heart of, of curiosity leads to meddlesomeness in others' affairs. And that leads to gossip and rumors. I've seen firsthand where gossip and rumors can have a, a, an effect on others' lives. It can affect friendships, uh, relationships with one another. It can affect marriages. And I've seen churches that have struggled in light of gossip and rumors. There, there are things that should not be a part of the life of a Christian, and yet they are. 
And sometimes we make light of these things. Sometimes we, we make jokes about them. They're very serious offenses. They're very serious in the eyes of God. And that's how we should see them. And that's what this lesson is about. Our lesson objectives for this morning are, first of all, to learn how to recognize and define what gossip and rumor really is. Number two, to recognize the source of gossip and rumor. And number three, to learn how to keep such things from our own behavior and example. We want to be a good example to those around us. We want to be helpful. We want to be kind and loving. And in order to do that, these things, these sins of the tongue, need to be put far away from our lives. This lesson is set up almost as two shorter lessons put together. But we begin with an illustration. And one that you may not think of otherwise. And so I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. And follow along with me as we read this text. For the context of the passage, we're going to begin reading in verse 15. Uh, but what I really want us to pay attention to doesn't actually come about until verse 18. But we'll begin reading at verse 15 of John 21. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now we have to remember where we are time-wise here too. Peter has denied Jesus. And so there's a, a lot to be said about these verses in particular, a lot that we won't get into today. But Jesus is going to ask him almost the same question. Almost because it's a little differently worded in each, each instance here. But he's going to ask Peter three times, do you love me? Remember that Peter has denied Jesus three times. And I think that is of significance to the text. But he says to Simon Peter, Simon son of Jonah... Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time in verse 17, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him, The third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. 
Verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Now in this passage, we find all three of those things that I mentioned in our introduction. Meddlesomeness, gossip, and rumors. They're a big part of, of what is told in this passage. Meddlesomeness. Meddlesomeness in that Peter asked about the life and death of John. We believe John to be uh, the writer of this book and, and he refers to himself as the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so that is the one that, that we're talking about here. And so in verses 20 and 21, Peter asked Jesus about him. But Lord, what about this man? Now, what would be Peter's reasoning in doing so? What would be his reasoning in, in asking? I, I don't believe that, that Peter had any ill intention whatsoever, but he was meddling. It wasn't his business. And Jesus said very clearly, It's not your business. If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Peter was meddling. And so because of what Peter asked and because of what Jesus said among the brethren, it was thought that John would live until the second coming of Christ. And so now we have gossip and rumors, something that, that was started because of what Peter asked. Now again, what were Peter's motives for asking what would become of John? I don't believe them to be ill-intentioned whatsoever. He may have been very well-intentioned in asking. But he was meddling. We may have noble motives in desiring knowledge of others' business. 
whether it be in the church or marriage or in a friendship or some other kind of relationship that we have, we want to know what's going on, don't we? We desire to know. We are curious. We are curious individuals. But whatever our motive may be in wanting to know about someone else or about some situation that is foreign to us, it can lead to sin. And Christians must be constantly on guard. We must guard our hearts from these things. Now we go back to what Jesus said about John. Was Jesus suggesting that John would live until his second coming? Until he would return? We know from the rest of Scripture that that was not the case. Jesus' second coming, we know, has not yet taken place. But we also know that John is no longer living. We know that by, by fact of, of age and, and human development. We know that, that he eventually passed away. That there's no way that he could live up until now. But there are those who struggle with this passage and whether or not John will live or has lived until the second coming of Christ. There are many who believe that, that Jesus has come a second time. And that John saw his return. All of this is a result of gossip and rumors. Gossip and rumors affect many people. Even from generation to generation we see rumors are spread. And, and we often see some of them are, are innocently turned into tall tales. We have many of those that I remember studying in school. And they're just the elaborations of something that was real that, that was made into something that was not so real. But it's all the result of gossip and rumor and meddling and others' business. And, and again, we may have the best of intentions, but still, things can be spread by word of mouth as a result of gossip and rumor. We also have a warning that is given in Scripture. Turn with me to James chapter 3 and let's begin reading at verse 1. James chapter 3 and verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member, 
and boasts great thing. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it, excuse me, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Now, what do we learn from James chapter 3? First of all, in verse 6, we learn of the origin of the sins of the tongue. Sin, and particularly that of the tongue, has its origins in hell. With Satan, it's an evil thing. We can use our tongues for good things, just as we can with, with many other things. But we can also use them for evil. And sin comes from Satan. He is the originator of such. We also see that because of the tongue, the teachers are warned that we will be given a stricter judgment based on what we have taught. And I don't believe that James is trying to discourage anyone from teaching or preaching. It can be a very good thing. It's a necessary thing. If we don't have preachers, then how can people learn? How can they believe? How can they obey the gospel? But he is warning them that what comes out of their mouth has an effect on those who hear them. And he is warning them of stricter judgment for that reason. In verse 10, it tells us that often through our mouths come both blessing and cursing. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you use curse words, so to speak. But isn't it amazing that we can come together on Sunday and we can blend our voices and sing praises to God. We can hear messages. We can pray together. All of these things involve the use of the tongue. And yet we can leave this place. We can go into our jobs. And we can use language that isn't fitting for a Christian. We can tell crude jokes and, and things of that nature. And out of our mouth come both blessing and cursing. This ought not to be said of a Christian. And yet, often it is. 
I remember hearing the story in, in preaching school of an elder of a congregation who was very well known in this community, which is probably one of the reasons that he was an elder in the church. He's very, very smart, uh, a very good businessman, but he often lost control of his speech. And he would curse. And he would say things that a Christian ought not to say. And the employees that were under him knew that. And they loved to test him. They knew of his, his reputation. They knew of him as an elder in the church. And they loved to see him lose his temper. And lose control of his speech. Colossians 4 and verse 6 says, Let your speech always, always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. We are taught to guard the tongue. Now how do we guard the tongue? We guard the tongue by first guarding our hearts. I want you to notice for a moment the example of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus often warned them and rebuked them for their behavior and the things that they did. In Matthew chapter 23 and beginning with verse 25, Matthew 23 and verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus also explained the defi that defilement comes from not the outside, but from what is on the inside. It comes from what is within. In Matthew 15, and beginning with verse 15, and Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand? that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, these are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. It's not what goes in that defiles someone. It's what comes out. 
It's what comes from within. It's what comes from the heart. See, if the heart is already corrupted, then so is what comes from the individual. When we truly guard our heart, making sure that what comes in is good, then more good will come from our lips. So where does this defilement come from? When we think of, of what comes into the heart, there's a great effect from what we watch on TV, from what we listen to, from what we find on the internet. When we fill ourselves with bad TV shows, with bad language and bad jokes and things of that nature, and that's what we dwell on. That's what enters into the heart. And that's what's going to come out. We have to be careful of what we put into our minds so that those things don't come out. We must be very careful to guard the tongue and our lips. But first, we must guard the heart, which is the root of the problem. How do we handle the sins of the tongue? What do we do whenever we, we are, are faced with this temptation? How do we guard our hearts? How do we guard our words? As we look at Scripture, we are told not just how to act, but how to speak. And how we act it has a great deal of effect on how we speak and, and vice versa. We must act in the same way in which we are going to speak. In Matthew 7 and verse 12 we have what we would refer to as the golden rule. Therefore whatever you want men to do to you do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. Some have the misconception that this says that whatever men do to you, that you should do to them also. And that's not what Jesus was saying. Whatever you want men to do to you, however you want to be treated, you treat others in the same way. In the same way with our speech. However we want people to speak to us, we speak to them in the same way. Yeah, I've seen a lot of kids come up. And I feel like I'm not that far away from being a kid myself. But I've seen some teenagers and some younger kids as well that'll come up and say, you need to give me respect. Uh, especially when we worked with inner city, we, we had a lot of that. Even with younger kids, we had first graders that we dealt with mostly. And we had first graders that would tell us, you need to respect me. You can't touch me. And things like that. They demanded it. But they didn't show it themselves. If you want respect, respect others. Speak in a respectful manner. And you will be respected for it. But demanding respect does not get you that respect. It's when you treat others with respect that they will also respect you.
In Matthew 22, in verses, beginning with verse 34, verses 34 through 40, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. They often tested Jesus to see what he would say, to try to catch him in his words. And he asked this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love God. Love your neighbor. When you love God, when you love your neighbor, what's going to come from your mouth and from your actions? You're going to show that love to God. You're going to speak to Him often in a respectful way. And when you speak to your neighbor... You're going to use words of kindness, love, and respect. What about those who have been offended? Now for those who have been offended by a brother or a sister, they are told how to handle such a situation. And we often have great examples from Scripture that can, can be applied not just in the church, but also in life. Matthew 18 is a good example of this. Matthew 18, and beginning with verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. One of the first mistakes that we make, whenever we deal with any kind of situation, one of the first things that we do that is wrong is instead of taking it to a brother, we go and talk to a friend about it. Can you believe how he treated me? Or can you believe what he did? If you have a problem with a brother, if you have an offense, if he has offended you in any way, take it to him alone first. Probably one of my pet peeves are those that, that, that are offended by something that I have done but refuse to tell me, but instead they'll tell somebody else. If someone has offended you, take it to your brother alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, then you take you or take with you one or two more. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Situations inside and outside of the church could and should be handled in this way. Jesus is setting a very good example and this is something that, that you can use in your job or school or wherever you are. You can use this same principle. If you have a problem, take it to your brother. If he refuses to hear you, then two or three more. Have a witness. Have two witnesses and take it to him. If he still doesn't believe you, then you have to take more drastic measures. 
extreme and serious cases, handle it before the church. Take it to the elders. And there may be instances in which church discipline may be necessary. Paul gives more instruction for that in 1 Corinthians 5. We won't take our time to go there. But this is the way that Jesus prescribes that we handle a situation. The Jews were told to take special care of an offense before bringing their offerings to the Lord, which shows the serious nature behind all of these things. In Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. I remember hearing of churches, one in particular that comes to my mind. And they would come together and they were divided. It was a church that was divided over something. I don't even remember what. But you would have those that would come in and you'd have one group that sat on one side, one group that sat on the other, and they wouldn't talk to each other. They would worship together and yet they wouldn't talk to each other. And when they left, they left in separate groups. And, and, and they worked out those differences eventually, but it took some time. But how can we bring our offerings to the Lord when we know that there's something wrong with a brother or sister in Christ? Especially within the same congregation. We should take special care of an offense before bringing our sacrifices of worship and praise before God if we are going to please Him. I do not know the author of these, but I put these in here to help you. When it comes to our speech and it comes to the things that we've been discussing today, there are three gossip gates, three gates in which your thoughts should pass before they leave your lips. Number one, is it true? Is it true? Did you witness the event or situation? Did a person directly involved in the situation tell you? Has it been reported by an organization that must verify facts? Were you told in confidence by a person with access to the truth? Are there verifiable documents, images, or audio available that records the event or situation? Before you say something, make sure that it is true. Number two, is it necessary? Is it necessary? Synonyms for necessary might be appropriate, helpful, or urgent. Is the subject you are talking about appropriate to talk about in public? Is it your business? Will passing the information on to someone else be helpful in any way? Is it getting someone out of trouble or in trouble? Is it important that the message be passed on to someone quickly to avoid something negative happening? Is it necessary for you to say it? What will happen if you do say it? Is it necessary? 
And number three, is it kind? Is it kind? The golden rule states, treat others as you would like to be treated. Would your family be proud of you for passing on the message or would you be reprimanded? If the person the rumor or gossip was about could hear you talking, would you pass on the information? If the rumor or gossip was about one of your family members, would you feel good hearing about it in the school halls or reading about it on cyberspace? Would passing on the rumor or gossip be considered mean-spirited? I realize that these are, are geared more toward younger people, but they can be very good for all of us. Before you say something, make sure it passes through all three of those gates. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? And if we cannot say yes to all three, then it probably shouldn't be shared. I, I have four words that I, I think of. This is the way that, that I do it. And I don't remember why I came up with these, but, but it stuck with me. Kindness, compassion, love, Jesus. That's what I want to show people. Are my actions done out of kindness, compassion, and love? Is what I said, said in kindness, compassion, and love? And if it's not, then I'm not showing them Jesus. I'm not setting a good example for myself or for others. Meddlesomeness, gossip, and rumors can be dangerous and hurtful, but mostly to our spiritual being. These are things that all Christians should avoid as much as is possible. Now there are times when it's hard to avoid these things. And sometimes we may find ourselves caught up in something because of them that we shouldn't have been caught up in in the first place. And when we find ourselves caught up, we need to get out of it while we have the chance. Christian example begins by exhibiting good speech. But our speech is affected by how we live. Our speech is affected by how we live. If you are not living as a Christian... If you're not a, a faithful child of God, maybe you've wandered away and maybe you need to come back. And if that's the case, if we need to pray for you, if there's some way that we can help you, then we give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord's invitation. If you're not a Christian, if you've never obeyed the gospel, if you need to come and, and take care of that need, if you need to be, be baptized for the remission of your sin then we'd be glad to help you. We want to help you in any way that we can. If you need to respond, then please come. Let's together we stand and as we stand.